back to another episode of the Day 16 Podcast. Uh, if you don't know already, I am Pat Hardy. I am the host of this audio uh, situation. Uh, first, I want to just thank everyone who pressed play just off the top. Appreciate that. Um, appreciate the love. Um, uh, so the first thing I kind of want to get into is we're coming off the Democratic National Convention um, originally I was going to do this whole, like, sort of what I did for the, uh, last dance every night, kind of do like a follow-up episode to what happened that night, but those ended, every night ended so late with the DNC, and I was just honestly whooped, like, I would just drop my sisters off, um, in Baton Rouge to the University of, or to Louisiana State University, LSU, just got back from that, dove right back into the DNC, and also we got NBA playoffs, at the same time, so usually I was double screening it um, late at night, and I just wasn't up to podcasting. I haven't been up to podcasting in general lately, but definitely not that late. So I thought I'd give just some of my thoughts tonight. Um, so the first thing I found super interesting um, was I thought that it was off the top, my instant reaction after four nights of that stuff, was I thought it was very well-produced, directed, um, strategically executed, and planned. So all kudos to the Biden team, the Democratic convention team, planning team, execution team, um, with everything being so different this year, not being able to do a crowd, everything had to be virtual, kind of pre-rolled video, um, and you know some pre-rolled speeches, some live speeches. Um, I just thought it was just masterly executed. Um, you know, obviously... I wouldn't think anything else, but like it, it kind of exceeded my expectations. Um, you know, some of the marquee speeches I was captivated by, which I really didn't think I would. I'm someone who enjoys the crowd, enjoys the energy that that kind of stuff brings. Um, so I was kind of surprised that I was sort of moved by, um, you know, last night Joe Biden's speech. Um, I thought he exceeded expectations, which I'll, which I'll get to in a second. I was obviously moved by the tone and the seriousness. And the brevity of Barack Obama's speech. Um, I was moved by, um, shout out to Braden. We'll get to him as well. Um, so just overall, I thought it was very very strategically um, executed and planned. Um, so yeah, it was great. Um, I do have some critiques though. Um, one thing I would say was that having some, I think some of the... What we were missing, just, you know, as a young black man in America who represents, not represents, but is in this um, generation population, this demographic of progressiveness, I guess you could say, um, that we seem to cater to the Republican side a lot. And, I, you know, I'm an independent. I don't really go either way. I think I lean, obviously, more liberal, but... Um, we cater too much to people who don't deserve to be catered to, if that makes sense. Let me just, I'll go, I'll dig into exactly why I feel this way. Um, so I guess it leads me to Joe Biden's speech. Joe Biden had a great speech. I think he it was a 24 minute speech, um, which is short in comparison to some of the past ones. I believe Hillary Clinton's last, last DNC or yeah, last DNC was like 55 minutes. Barack Obama's back in 2008 was like 46 minutes, something in that range. Um, so it was great. It was a short speech. I think he hit on all the points. He didn't 
name Trump um, exactly, but he did address him as this president um, and offer critiques. Um, but there's one aspect um, of the speech and one line in the speech that kind of ties to what I was just talking about, how we were catering too much to Republicans. He said in the speech, um, and I'm not, this is not, this is just off the top of my head. I don't have the speech in front of me, but he said something to the effect of, um, I'm not just going to be a president. I'm going to work as a president just as hard for the people who didn't vote for me as those who voted for me. Which is, in theory, exactly what you want to hear from a president. He's right. That's what a president should be. That's what a real president has to be. You have to be the leader for all. Not just one side of the aisle or just your base or your followers and your supporters. But in this election, with these two candidates, it's different. And I don't like dancing around it. I'm not a fan of that. I've seen that a lot in the media lately. I saw that a lot at the DNC having um, some Republican. Uh, we had a lot of Republican versus we didn't have a lot of progressive people um, up there. Um, and I think I think in this election it's different. Why that line kind of hits differently is because in this election there's a clear choice between right and wrong. So, you know, it hits differently when he says he's going to take care and work hard for the people who don't vote for him and vote for Trump. Uh, maybe he's talking to people who just don't vote. Maybe that's who he's talking to. I'm going to assume. I'm going to hope that's who he's talking to. But if he's saying that he's going to work hard for the people who vote for Trump as well, that's where, I, as a black man, a young black man in America, and, you know, I maybe just be coming off this naive. I would love to hear from anyone who kind of disagrees with me, but that doesn't really cut it for me. I don't want you to work hard for bigots and neo-Nazis and white supremacists because that's who Trump's base is. That Those are the people who are voting for Trump. If you're voting for Trump, that's what it is. Uh, it's no kind of like, there's no kind of gray area here where we can kind of dance around it and act like it, it is what it is, as Michelle Obama said on, I believe, the first night of the DNC. Um, and, you know, that kind of connects to the point of why we had so many, why do we have so many Republicans and people coming from across the aisle to try to convince white, white Republicans to vote for Joe Biden? I mean, if you're, if you're having to be convinced of that at this point with the current president, then, I mean, I don't even want to talk to you. I don't want you on my side. I don't, like, and I think in the same way that they're trying to gain votes by doing that, appealing to the middle and the people who need convincing, I think they can potentially lose votes when it comes to, you know, my generation, the young progressives of this country who, you know, not speaking exactly like of, of my mindset and my current state, but the people who don't really trust government, who are sick of being lied to from both sides of the aisle. And now you say you're going to just work just as hard for the racists and bigots who vote for Trump as you are for us. And now we want to appeal to the people who need convincing to not be supporting a racist bigot. We have to convince those people. We want to take time out. I just feel like a lot of times the Democratic Party is afraid to be its own advocate and afraid to kind of step out and be as bold as they can. And I guess, you know, you could say that's kind of the problem with the, with the Republican Party. They're... They went way too far in standing in their own beliefs, which are mostly terrible.
Um, so yeah. So you know, uh, negative side to some critiques of the of the of the DNC this week for sure. Thought it was overall once again. I thought it was overall very good. Um, it, it was it was very inspirational. Um, you know, loved hearing from Obama again. The well, the Obamas. Um, there's one. You know, as we come off of me just critiquing kind of a dark, the not dark, but um, you know, a critique of the DNC. I thought one shining moment was, um, you know, they had that kid Braden, who Joe Biden helped get over his stutter. Um, it's just completely heart touching and just made me feel warm inside, especially as a kid who grew up with a stutter. Still pretty much deals with a stutter. Um, those who know me can catch me when I get too excited or get too passionate about something I can trip over my words. So that was uh, touching, and it really just showed, um, you know, to me it just showed that uh, empathy matters, you know, in that job of the president. Like, you know, um, especially now and what we're going through, empathy matters. And um, what he did for that kid and having that kid up there talking and giving him the courage to do that. The kid's so brave. Um, so shout out to Braden on that one. Um, what else from the DNC? Um, yeah, that's all I got from it. I mean, I watched almost uh, you know every second of it. I think the first night was a little rough. I think I only caught Michelle Obama. Um, but overall, I thought it was good. All right, enough politics. Let's talk. Meg the Stallion. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, as it, I don't get engaged in a lot of this stuff. Like I, I, I have social media. I have Twitter and Instagram. It's pretty much and LinkedIn if you count that as a social media. Um, and so I, you know, I'm scrolling, scrolling, kind of getting the news updates, and all of a sudden Meg the Stallion's back, and she's telling everybody who shot her in the foot. Um, and it's all who we kind of thought it was. It wasn't a big surprise. It was Tory. Um, but what came to a, what came to be to, to me was a surprise is that he was trying to like change his story through his publicist and stuff, which obviously prompted her. Um, you don't you don't anger, don't piss off black women. It's not even like a racist thing. It's just like they're not they're not to be trifled with. They are a powerful, um, courageous um, human beings, and they're not to be fucked with, especially by other black men. We got to protect our, our our people, protect our queens. Um, so, and that's the opposite of what Tory did, according to Meg Thee Stallion. Um, so, this is a quick synopsis. I'm not going to spend too much time on this just because whew, it's, you know, it's pretty trifling. So, what I know and what we know from what Meg told us is that they got into an argument. Her, her friend, Tory, and Tory Security in the car. Not sure what it's about. They're about five minutes from her crib. She gets out because she's like, I'm done arguing with y'all. I'm out. I'm just going to walk it. I'm going to book it to my place. Tori, little ass, has a gun and shoots Meg the Stallion. Hits her foot, obviously. We know the story now. But what we didn't know is that cops were called to that location. Meg gets back in the car. After being shot in the foot multiple times, cops come. She doesn't snitch. She doesn't even say anything. She's in there with a shot up foot in the passenger seat because she's trying to protect Tory Lanez with everything going on, police brutality, the heightened racial tension in the world, all the 
brothers and sisters killed by police. That's what going. That was that's what was going through that black woman's mind at the time that that black man betrayed her in one of the worst ways you can betray a human, not just black people in general. That's what was going through her mind. Protect that black man from the police. Now, on one note, that should be a note to all police officers and people of just how deep our trauma and fear go of the police and just white people with power. Number two, I'm not sure she did the right thing. Now, you know, I, I, I'm on, I, like I just said, that shows how deep it goes for us. But on the other hand, girl, he shot you. I respect the, the whole not snitching thing. Like, I'm here for all that. We're, like, cool. But the dude shot you. He broke every code already. You got to say something. Like, and I'm not even here trying to fault her. Like, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to put in context how big her, her act of loyalty in that regard, lack of a better word, was. So, to keep this short and brief, I'm not sure where I stand on it, but I know I got a lot of great, amazing black women in my life, and if any black man would have ever done that, or any man in general would have done that, I know they snitching. <laughs> All right, so one more thing, I'm going to get y'all out of here. I kind of That was kind of on my mind for the past like two weeks, was this college football situation. Um, like I just said earlier in the podcast... Drive my sister off. My sister's off. Um, I have a bad time slurring my words sometimes. Um, my sister's off at LSU. My one sister's on the track team. So she is a Division One athlete. That's right. <laughs> um, but, you know, the whole time being on that campus um, and all that kind of stuff, hearing what's going on with the Big Ten not playing, Pac-12 not playing, other conferences, Power Five conferences saying they are playing, um, you know, it makes me just think like, damn, these players are worth a lot of money and they deserve to be paid a lot of money. Like I saw an article that LSU stands to lose up to 80 plus million dollars, million, 80 million dollars if they don't have a college football season, not if they don't have an athletic season, like the track team ain't bringing that in. The basketball team, even with Sharif O'Neal, ain't bringing that in. If they just lose the football season, they lose as a school, as a university, as a state university, 80 plus million dollars. All that means is the players are worth 80 million dollars. So this whole thing where due to COVID, they're trying to get unpaid players to risk their lives. So that they can come up on some bread. Sounds like slavery to me. In a way. Sounds like a, a weird, weird uh, facsimile to it. You know? We're not paying them, but we're going to ask them to risk their lives so we can get this bread. Some players want to play, and I get it. I get it. But there is a pandemic going on. Um... And it's just a, it just doesn't seem right. And someone has to be the advocate for these, for these players if it's not going to be them. Some of them have, have, have been advocates for themselves and stood up. And those guys are – I'm proud of those guys because that's what you should be doing. Know your worth. Know your value. Without you, none of that stuff works. 
so let them see it. Um, I know the Big Ten, Pac-12, some of the players had negotiated for, I think there was a Pac-12 that said they want 50% of the revenue. Um, the Big Ten said that they just want free tickets um, and, st- and travel stuff for their family, or free tickets for their families, and also they want Big Ten Network to be free for their families so they can watch them on television. Um, and they all wanted the standards of the COVID testing um, to be more up to par and universal across all across all universities, so that when they play each other, you know, one team might be good on COVID, doing all the right things, but the other team's not, and then you come, and then everything, everybody gets the COVID. So, um, yeah, the college football thing's been weird for me. It's just been, I've been thinking a lot about it and how unfair it is to these players and how they're not being paid at the end of the day. Like the NBA players who are in the bubble right now, quote unquote, risking their lives, even though they haven't had. A positive test since they've been there it's great i mean I, we can do a whole other segment on that but they're getting paid and even the nfl doesn't really feel right to me but they're getting paid so it's hard to kind of argue it's, it's kind of hard to say that it's not fair when they're getting paid millions of dollars but these college football players are only making millions of dollars for their universities they're not earning that they're not getting that they're not even seeing a dime of that and they're not even going to be able to get a full education. Let's just keep that in mind as well. My sisters are there right now, and they have all their classes but one online. So you're not even getting the full breadth of your scholarship, and you're risking your life. Some players are turning up with heart conditions because they're testing positive to this stuff. The Georgia State quarterback, just his career is probably over because of this. So to all the leadership in college football, if you're listening, probably fucking not, I... Just think you got to hold your horses before you do something really bad. Because if a player turns up dead because of COVID-19, hmm, how would that feel? Thank you for listening to Day 16 Podcast. I appreciate it. Um, wherever you're at, rate, review. Hit me on Instagram. Um, I'm on Twitter as well, Pat underscore Hardy 16. Uh, come find me. This has been a Day 16 podcast. Peace.